everyone. We're here today with Mindy Weisel, painter, writer, artist, born in Bergen-Belsen, lived and worked in Washington, D.C., and now residing in Jerusalem. We're talking to Mindy today about her latest book, After the Obligation of Beauty, which I call a memoir of sorts. It's compelling and candid, and it traces her search for beauty in life, which began as a child born in the displaced person's camp to parents who had survived the Auschwitz concentration camp. This is not her parents' story, but it's a portrait of Mindy's struggle to understand the world as she calls the black hole she was born into, and in which she offers insights into her life and her work, and a very deep-seated conviction that she has, and which you can see in her studio and Jerusalem home, that beauty and love can overcome tragedy. One more note about after, which literally is launching uh, in, in this time in September. Each chapter of the book of after is accompanied by Mindy Weisel's paintings that relate to different periods of her life. Her life that is filled with many artistic accomplishments, meaning family and love and fulfillment and all the things that we're going to talk about for the next little while here on Times Will Tell. Hello, Mindy. How are you today? Hi, Jessica. Great. It's a gorgeous day in Jerusalem. Well, we are very happy that you're here with us on this September day. Why did you write this book? It's not your first book. Um, I imagine it won't be your last. And you are a person who can express yourself in so many different ways. Tell the listeners of Times Will Tell why you decided to write this particular book. I started writing in 2009 after I was asked to be a cultural emissary in Germany by the U.S. State Department. And when I came back, it was just the start of experiences that I was having that just were kind of building in me. So I started in 2009. I really didn't know what direction the book would go. And it, in fact, went through 11 years of different versions um, I believe a lot in the process and the creative process of things. And I was very moved by the experience in Germany. And I was, and then not even two years after the experience in Germany, I went to Japan to do on a humanitarian mission to work with survivors of the tsunami. This was 2011. So 2009, I'm writing, 2011, I'm writing, and it's becoming very clear to me that I don't want to tell my parents' story. It's not, it wasn't my story. I can only tell about my story being raised by two Holocaust survivors and the heartache that I witnessed and yet the strength that I witnessed and the courage. And my life started very young as being interested in beauty. Um, I was about 14 when I really noticed that Things, all things beautiful made, made a difference to me, and it became my life's work as a painter, and I love flowers, and I love everything that's authentic and real, and it just spoke to me, and it just kept, I just kept writing and writing and rewriting and writing, and I realized I didn't even have a title until I was two-thirds finished with the book. Um, it went through many. First, it was going to be making marks. 
about being an artist and then about being a Holocaust survivor's daughter. And then it all came together as I am an artist. I paint, I write, I work with glass. I feel very, very fortunate to really be blessed with these gifts. And as I said recently, I think the only, I said to my grandchildren, actually, that the only thing I deserve credit for is staying with it is a solid mm-hmm. gift. And if you, you just stay with, with what you're doing, just stay with it. Um, and I stayed with it. And I stayed with the book. I never abandoned it. There were many times I thought, what do I need to write another book for? And here it is, September 16th, it comes out after the obligation of beauty. And I love it. And I worked with an outstanding book designer, Jen Core. I'm very grateful. And it was a great, it was just a great, great process. And I'm very grateful for the finished work. So Talk to me about the title since you just brought it up. After, what does after mean? Does it mean after your parents' experience, after you've understood things about their life and your life? What what does after mean? After, in fact, only it's so interesting to me that I chose the word after, meaning like what happened after the Holocaust? What happened to me after this upbringing? What what happened after to all of us survivors' children who are now in their 60s and 70s as I am? And it's only after, ironically enough, that I'm reading through the final manuscript and I notice after, the actual word after, referred to in a quote in um, several of my journal entries from the 70s, from... I mean, it was just stunning to me. I'll read you very quickly a quote that I found after I wrote the book. So after, after became a process for me. Okay. Became a process. A life process. It became a life process. And listen to the quote I found a day before it was supposed to go to print. I mean, this is proof that if you live very openly, um, you will find the right words. This is by a Chinese writer, actually, Yuan Li, and this is the quote. What a long way it is from one life to another, yet why write if not for that distance? If, if things can be let go, every before replaced by an after. So after to me um, represents many things. After the Holocaust, after when you're in a process of living, you only really realize your life after you've experienced it. Right. Mindy, do us the favor of telling us, giving us a little bit of a snapshot of you and your parents from Bergen-Belsen to Washington. Give us a little bit of the trajectory of of how your family made it to the U.S. I lived in Bergen-Belsen for three years, and I came to America in 1949, 1950, lived in New York, moved to Los Angeles because my father had asthma, and he was a bakery, opened a bakery. And uh, then I met my husband, really, when I was 16 in L.A., married him at 18, 
then it was very hard to leave my parents. It was, I was the only daughter to these two Holocaust survivors. Very, I couldn't imagine leaving my parents, but it was easy getting married. We lived in LA and then together, my husband and I moved to Washington, D.C. and spent 45 years there. And my experience with Bergen-Belsen was in 2009. I never thought I'd go back. I never wanted to see Bergen-Belsen. And I went back to Bergen-Belsen. And after 45 years in Washington and visiting Bergen-Belsen, the only place I wanted to be was Israel. And I ended up And that's where you've been living for the last 10 years, correct? 10 years, right, right. Almost, right. 2012, so almost 10 years, correct. Right. So... And then, and then those 45 years in Washington, D.C., which, as I know from talking to you previously, that was when you really discovered yourself as an artist, as a productive artist, as an accomplished artist. Tell us a little bit about that trajectory and that journey th- for you as well. I think I really needed to leave my parents. Um, to, and when I got to Washington, really had a mini nervous breakdown. I think I didn't know how I felt about anything. I knew how my parents felt. I was always busy looking at their face and trying to make them happy. And when I got to Washington, I ended up in therapy and psychotherapy with a wonderful doctor, Dr. Burl Mendel from Canada, a Jewish doctor who was very unconventional and really would take the phone calls during the session. And I always felt like he would take mine. I felt very safe. And in his office, he really helped me separate from that background, find a voice. And I became an artist and started painting seriously. I had my first studio when I was 26 years old and started exhibiting by the time I was 28. And there it was. I just, I needed to separate from my parents to find my own voice. That doesn't mean I separated from them emditionally, mentally, or physically. I or even artistically, in a sense, because that's what yeah, I wanted right. to say is that your your yeah. your work your artworks are so big and so colorful and so intensive, and yet there is always, from what I've seen, there's a a direct line that leads back to your parents' history and experiences and yours as a result. Or, yeah, you or am don't I have wrong? To, well, you don't have to go much further than starting in 1979 paintings with my father's number for a year. So yeah, that's always started with them. My father's number, then my mother's love of blue. Um, Her name was Lily and I have Lily in blue and Lily let's dance and a lot of series. Yes, you're right, Jessica. A lot of my work, even though at a distance, it's like James Dublin, you know, he left Dublin yet all his stories Start always took place in Dublin. I don't think you ever really leave home. Yeah, I don't think you ever really leave home. Like Cool Runnings meets Bull Durham, Designated Hitters is the story of how a team that doesn't even have a baseball stadium made it all the way to the Olympics and how a ragtag group of dreamers found themselves playing and almost beating the world's best baseball players. Produced by Soul Shop in partnership with the Israel Association of Baseball, join me, Hannah Weinberg, and experience the glorious intersection of the American pastime and the Holy Land, wherever you listen to your podcasts. Each chapter is accompanied by paintings that relate to the different right. periods of your life. Right. So was that a way for you to make sense of these different areas and artistic 
periods of your life as well. How did that come about, that decision to divide it up like that? That's an excellent question, um, an excellent question. In reality, I think exactly what I was talking about, the process, I was writing the chapters and then I thought, well, let me see what painting comes through. And that kind of became the way that I wrote the book. I didn't want an ordinary, I mean, with my life being so colorful with stories and art and poems and journal entries, it seemed like it would be so barren if I just had the written word. And since I start every single painting by writing and writing and writing till there's no language left, and then I start to paint, I felt that the only honest way I could write this memoir was to have the writing accompanied by the painting. And yes, I think that I saw areas that were darker, that were lighter, that were more emotional, that felt more like dance, uh, more like sorrow. I really do go through the full range of emotion when I work. But I also believe that everybody should go through the full range of emotion just living. If you're emotionally honest and they're good and good and bad and joy and sorrow, really. Hmm. Now, something that I that I loved seeing when I visited your your home and saw a lot of the, the range of your artwork is how it's filled with paintings and your glassworks and your pottery. Tell us a little bit about how you've moved from art form to art form and of course going back and forth between them as well. How does that track your progress as an artist or is it about something else in terms of your own discovery of these different art forms and materials? I think that I'm just interested in when I'm not painting, I could be cooking. When I'm not cooking, I could be writing. When I'm not writing, I could be painting. I think I happen to discover glass purely by chance, as life is, and loved glass. It took off a couple of years because that's all the material I used, the glasses I would paint. Then a friend recently who's a ceramicist um, asked me to paint with her the ceramics. So then I ended up doing a whole series. I think I'm just happy being creative. I don't think, and I'm not, Hans Hoffman, so ironically enough, the German art professor and artist, Hans Hoffman, said almost identical, had the same thing to say about being an artist as Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, who I've always loved and read and researched and believe in his writings, that an artist shouldn't have a memory. And what does that really mean? It means that when you start, it's like starting the day. Don't think about what you did yesterday. You can't, if you're busy thinking about what style am I working or what am I doing or what did I did yesterday, then you're not going to be in the moment. And I never think about what style or what material. Every day is a new day. And I find myself sometimes working in glass, sometimes in canvas. Nothing interferes with anything else. As long as I'm being creative, I just seem to, and they're all my marks. That's what's always so interesting to me, whether it's on a piece of glass or it's on a, and I don't paint on the glass. I work with glass to create the glass. So I think it's interesting that it always feels like my mark, like just like you have a thumbprint. Right. So it's just the, the process. Okay. And I'm also wondering about how you see yourself now. You, you moved to Jerusalem. You've been living here for a chunk of time now. You wrote this memoir. You're the child of survivors. Um, 
you're obviously still very engaged in Holocaust thought and experience and history. What does that mean to you now in 2021, seeing the world where it is now, seeing your own children and grandchildren grow and develop and find their own place in the world? Are there any theories or or ideas that you have now as you think about it all? Has anything changed for you in that sense? Well, I think we're always changing. And I think the language inside ourselves keeps growing if you're open. I think living in Israel, um, I feel very secure living in Israel. I feel, I always felt very anxious in America. And I think my grandchildren know that because I brought them to Israel every year for the last 10 years. And they've all been in camp here and summers here. And one grandson was in um, several programs here over the course, even during the pandemic. I think, Jessica, I can't say anything except that I'm going to be 75 and I don't, this is really the, the theme, the essence of the book. I think that if each person can own up to examining their own emotional, their state, I mean, I believe in love. We have to move forward in love. Seeing the January 6th Capitol storming, I mean, that made me sick seeing the what's going on with anti-Semitism. Okay, so what did I do? I, not everybody can go to Germany and talk to the mayor of Dachau and talk at Dachau educational centers as I had. I feel very blessed. But everybody does have the responsibility to acknowledge and resist hatred, anti-Semitism. And, you know, when I see some actress come out and talk about... Uh, you know, the Jews or Israel, I feel like there's such lack of education. So I believe in education, educating this generation and doing all we can. Right. Where do you, where do you want to see your book being read? Who do you want it to be read by? I love that question. I want everybody to read my book. (laughs) (laughs) I want artists. I want Uh, non-Jews, Jews, I want it to be a universal, timeless language of the importance of beauty in our life. It's a genuine aesthetic, it's a genuine philosophy that it took a lifetime to live and put down. And frankly, I don't think there's a wasted word in the book. I think every word counts. It's the essence. It's really, look, why is anybody's story interesting? Why do I read memoirs? If I feel that there's, (laughs) and I love memoirs, I love memoirs. And, you know, people say, well, you can't tell the truth in memoirs. You can talk about an emotional truth for yourself without damaging somebody else. There's a subtle way to say something. But I felt like my, my writing was very honest about what it was like having survivor parents. And I felt that it applied whether... Not only Holocaust survivors, look at what young people are going through in Afghanistan, going through around the world. I grew up with a father who talked to me about Rwanda. He did, mm-hmm. My father had empathy for Rwanda. So it's not, the world to me is not just Holocaust survivors and not Holocaust survivors. It's what I experienced in Japan, survivors of tsunami, of natural disaster. Of, I think Oh, I wanted to mention something. In fact, I just recently realized that how could I write an entire book 
and not mention Viktor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning, which right. was the most important book I ever read. I've given it a thousand times in all my since I'm 16 and read it as gifts. And I realized that I didn't mention it in the book because it's so much a fabric in my life. And I realized thinking about it that I probably didn't mention it because it became the fabric of my very own being, my very own philosophy, that we have a choice. We really do have a choice, even in the direst. And believe me, I've had my, my serious moments of, you know, can I even live with all this in me, all this heartache and absorbing all this sadness and and you make a choice, you know, to live really requires a lot of energy and a lot of strength. And all I wish anybody when they're having a hard time is strength and love. And good wishes. Good wishes. Yeah. To- yeah. Mindy, now, of course, I'm going to ask you the question I always ask artists of all kinds is what are you working on now? Because uh, someone like you, does not stop with a book or the last painting. (laughs) What's going through your head now and what mediums are you working in? Tell us a little bit about that. Well, it's very exciting. Um, I was invited by the U.S. Embassy, the United States Embassy in Berlin, to work on a proposal for Berlin. And I, after much thought, Um, I don't really prepare when I work in the sense of make drawings or anything like that. I kind of walk around and let it like the seed. Once I realize, oh, my God, I have this opportunity in Berlin. What's going to happen? And what happened was I put together a proposal on commemorating Kristallnacht because I know how to work in glass to make glass. The proposal actually was to make glass, beautiful glass break the glass, then recreate the glass in 18 windows for Chai and have them exhibited at the Jewish Museum in Berlin. Well, I got the grant and in about two or three weeks, I'll know exactly where in Berlin. And once I know where it will be installed, then I can start work. So yeah, I'm back to something dealing with the Holocaust, but I see it's the same thing. I'm making beauty. You know, I'm breaking beauty and then creating beauty and making beauty. I mean, the same thing when I worked with my father's number, the paintings got so dark. And then to my great amazement, there was always light coming through. And then after that, there were paintings that were very colorful. This is the roller coaster of life. Darkness, light, darkness, light. And let's pray for less darkness. That is the story of your life, right? It's a good story. It's a good story. (laughs) Mindy Weisel, we have been so happy to have you here with us on the Times Will Tell, the Times of Israel weekly podcast. So thank you for being with us and thank you for listening. Thank, thank you so much, Jessica. Thank you so much for listening to Times Will Tell and a special thanks to TLV1 Studios for sound production help. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to Times Will Tell on all podcast platforms. (laughs) 